Good afternoon. Hope you're good. Hope you can hear me. Do let me know. If not, you know my usual paranoia on this, especially when I'm coming from home. And the signal seems fairly stable. We've uh, done some work to try and sort out the Wi-Fi so that when I'm staying home uh, today, just to make sure I can take delivery of some kitchen appliances, those that have been paying attention, I did up a kitchen last week. Um, and so we've got things like extractor fans, etc., arriving. So I thought it'd be smart for us to stay put. Um, but it does mean that then we get this challenge of my home Wi-Fi being uh, misbehaving as it's done before. But hopefully it seems to be behaving itself to let me know if not. Um, I've also... Sorry about yesterday for those that tuned in. Um, they were, uh, I was struggling to be able to pull the uh, the comments up and stuff like that um, because they've changed restream slightly, but um, looks like these are working. So, what's up, Chewy? Meekin says, thank you for joining, Adam. Joe Turner can hear me and therefore will go. In fact, Meekin reckons it's better signal, better signal, better than at work, right? stay home more that's fine by me um and certainly uh at the, the sound we've been struggling with as well even with the fancy microphones all the gear and no idea at the clinic and so uh here we are let's do it from home i'm uh, looking forward to getting stuck into this topic with you actually today i've not got a guest and i wasn't meant to have one yesterday but thanks for jim for joining me on that oa chat yesterday it was fascinating it's going to be an ongoing one i think it's something that internally we've discussed a lot especially off the back of um jim's podcast as well as other conversations we've been having about how that might have rocked our world um and also just how exciting it is to be in a in a ever developing landscape you know It'd be i would say be, be kind of boring to be a, a a mathematician some of the time when things aren't changing at any rate of pace because that's been studied to high heaven whereas you know ours, ours is a ever-changing landscape which is quite exciting talking of ever-changing landscapes look at these they've got these little spring has sprung restream frames i might i might drop them in there now and again today i'm expecting some easter ones to emerge soon as well but uh, there we go that's pretty isn't it there we go. so the topic i wanted to discuss with you today is something that's been on my mind a lot probably over the course of about 12 months lots of which i've talked about before but probably not all in one place which is the integration of what service design would be between digital virtual call it what you will telehealth, tele, uh, whatever it's called, uh, video consultation to say, and the face-to-face -face care delivery that we're more used to. Now, what's the integration of those two things that's going to be likely to be in our future, uh, independent of once the pandemic maybe is behind us, or at least the massive caution that we've had to apply with regards to contact is lightened. And um, I don't want to go too far into courses conferences events uh education delivery necessarily obviously i'm happy to go there another time but this is more for me to try and get your thoughts and views as well as share some of my own about the way in which we might um reset some of the ways of working and and what is it about this current phase that we've been in that we might want to keep what do we need to try and reverse as quickly as we can what are some of the limitations that exist around um, implementing what might be considered to be sensible best practice, integrating those two things. And when I'm getting at there is, if we kind of came to realize that one of the most cost-efficient and uh, evidence-informed ways of which we deliver it is a combination of virtual and face-to-face -face care, when it comes to challenges to that, one of the big ones is, do the therapists enjoy it? Do the patients comply with it? 
as and, and are engaged with it and enjoy it as much as they did before. Who's craving a return to more of the old normal than would be proposed? Um, and so, therefore, how likely is it to be sustainable as a model? You know, that's something that I want to sort of raise with you and, and give some of my thoughts on because I've been on a real journey with this. Um, and uh, and I'm willing to to, sh to share much of that over the course of not just the year, but but prior to it. You know what was I've been thinking about service design and especially with my MSKR hat on, which is our think tank, which thinks about floating progressive policy uh, in MSK. That includes sort of governance level, service level design features that mean that what would be better as a blueprint model for best care. We've been thinking about integrating you know, telehealth and virtual and stuff long before the pandemic, and so the challenges that that we always knew that that was going to bring has been heightened uh, by the the uh, almost mandatory uh, implementation of these sorts of features and so i think it's something that, that lots of people have got lots of uh, lots of i don't know yeah lots of powerful and strong opinions on this sort of stuff but then i think most people are kind of st stuck in a funny spot uh, really um when it comes to the clinical stuff now Outside of that, you know, I don't want to weigh in on the, how much of the old normal sort of societally and culturally we might want to get back. Um, I think I have some um, varying views on that. But, um, you know, that's something that I think is a slightly different conversation to the one I need to have today or want to have with you today. But um, I'm going to reopen the comments for a second and see what else you guys are chatting on about. Unfortunately, the signal seems to be behaving itself. Mike James says that we're at crystal clear, which is great. Thanks, Mike. Um, Adams posted a great editorial, aka Posh Blog, here that he posted yesterday. That is a lovely article. Jill Rawlinson, I think, from what I recall, um, if it's the one I'm thinking about, I, did, I didn't see that Meeks had posted it, but I know Jill Rawlinson and Louise Connell, um, she's someone who uh, was, was teaching at Nottingham University, who was an undergrad. I hope she doesn't remember me. Uh, but they wrote a lovely piece uh, about about potential prospects of new ways of working. And, and so do check that out for those of you that are watching on Facebook. Meekies has just posted that um, onto Facebook chat. I'll see if I can share that and think on to share that across Restream. Uh, Ewan McComiskey, um, former Physio Matters guest, I think, or was he part of the CSP newscast, one of the CSP's digital transformation teams? He's mentioning that Physio UK this year is focused on digital transformation, focused symposia looking at virtual consultations in various sectors, exploring lots of the available evidence in it. Also one on artificial intelligence, which is, and then I can't bloody read it, what's he saying? Which is a whole new discussion. Absolutely, right. Well, when it comes to this stuff, of course, please you and get, you know, you've got my email address. I'd love to have you on the show. Let's get stuck into that. I think that is a, a really good uh, thing for us to discuss. And I'd love to talk about artificial intelligence with you, especially. Uh, but um, I'll be paying attention to that work and uh, and let's get stuck into that in more specific detail with you. Because otherwise, yeah, me just riffing on that for now is not what I had planned. Uh, thank you, Richard. Uh, Richard Sutherland has got in touch to say, do you think COVID has just accelerated what was going to happen in 10 years anyway with advances in technology? Hold that thought, Richard. I definitely want to get there. Um, it's a really good point, really good question and something that I will visit in a second. But for now, I'm just about to just hide the comments from my view because I'll get otherwise distracted. I'm going to riff for a little bit and then bring you all back in. So please do um, give me, keep sharing your thoughts on there and I'll pull them back in at the end. Um, the question I specifically want to pose to you is how, how much is it that you want back from what was old 
um, and how much of the new stuff do you want to keep and and why you know please don't be shy to, to share that why because that's going to be a lot of what I'm going to be discussing from my point of view so I said about I've been on a bit of a journey and the journey I'm describing generally is one where by ahead of the pandemic uh, I was working with people like Katie Napton, PhysioFast Online, uh, recognizing that there is something to be said for um, the importance of, of care delivery, both in terms of assessment, triage, and rehab delivery that can be done well over video consultation. We also had some great studies that have been done showing the effectiveness as well as the satisfaction levels that could occur even just from tele-rehab and tele-triage, okay, um, that had come long before, you know, years before the pandemic. And so I was a fan of that and recognized that that needed to be better integrated and was someone that was sounding the alarm when people weren't necessarily implementing and adapting in that direction and not utilizing technology sensibly. It was concerning for me. Therefore, when the pandemic hit, it ended up being a bit more of a, a sort of Trojan horse, a battering ram. We can use whatever analogy we like, but essentially uh, people then were... The persuasive case we were trying to make, me and others have been trying to make about those sorts of integrations um, were... Less, less important in a way because the people were sort of had to had to adapt right we needed to reduce reduce unnecessary contact especially medically especially when you think about those early stages of the pandemic in which we thought surface contagion was still a major one not surface contagion sorry surface transmission and things like that and so it ended up being that it was less you know, less argument more force really you know, people had to had to adapt and had to change now one of the reasons i think i ended up being such a fan of um of it is because it is a bit of a way of cleaning house uh, and, and it's something that i have thought you know there was a bit of an there is a, a subtle and uh, not so subtle agenda underneath some of what i was doing there whereby the style of care of which i deliver this graded scaled rehab approach uh, in, in which we use you know a, a judicious use of adjuncts um but also just making sure that people then are the context sensitivity stuff that I often talk about, right? So people get getting to know people in an environment in which they are most comfortable to they, the fact that they can access it without taking loads of time out of their day. The fact that it sort of feels compatible with their lifestyle, regardless of what it is, feels like it was smart for me to be an advocate and still a proud advocate of that sort of stuff. But it also meant that for those that were inferring that clinical reasoning is less important than sort of almost like a protocolized A plus B equals C type, um, approach to or more methodical approach to you do this particular clinical test if it shows that that muscle is short then you therefore give them some stretches and or you start to then you know positive positive thomas test means you give out these particular stretches and you do some um, specific manual therapy to the psoas right I'm, I'm caricaturing now but i'm just meaning that this 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 quite archaic what i would consider an archaic style of care that is almost like a flow chart from clinical tests to subjective questions being answered to the affirmative and then it gives you this style of care that you might deliver to achieve an outcome and something that i've been critical of that style of, of, of practice for a long time and it's something that most of my work has been to try and make a case for something better something more evidence informed something more biologically plausible however one of the methods in which you can try to reduce that and reduce that unnecessary style of care in many ways is that you kind of take away some of the um some of the tools that people use wrongly and one of them being a really clumsy use of manual therapy with an inference that you're actually altering people's tissues right so the thing i just mentioned about said psoas and the fact that oh, you're going to need to come and see me at this style of frequency to try and get some um you know i'm going to make your eyes water and have you bite a pillow uh, whilst i uh, torture your abdomen and, and try to influence your psoas's um 
mechanical function, right? So um, to some extent, you just can't do that uh, through, a, through a video. I can imagine there's some powerful Reiki being attempted through, uh, through video consultations by some, uh, by some nutters over the course of the last 12 months. But generally speaking, you're sort of taking away some of those, those things uh, from people that, that are having to then start thinking more in a rehabilitation-centric model of which I prefer, right? Um, and so I feel like some of that was definitely colouring my approach to, to wanting to really champion uh, virtual. Now, a bigger version of that, uh, sorry, a bigger, bigger reason for me championing it was because it's something that I think is, uh, is, really, is really sensible care. You know, it's something that, that my uh, agenda wasn't to try to get hands off people, but it was just sort of a way of sort of cleaning house a little bit over the fact that this is something that is more accessible and that patients, in my experience, having seen, because um, I do a lot of second opinion work, we get people from far and wide that might not want to travel and that want to come and see someone and, and therefore stay, stay home to do it as well as the fact that in the pandemic looming, it was something that was certainly safe and sensible for us to reduce the unnecessary contact. And that still remains. Now, the say I'm on a journey is that I'm not still in that place. And one of the reasons I'm not still in that place is because I think that I've come to realize that there are more limitations to a digital first or, or, or uh, solely like that being the default um, than I thought. And that's someone that uh, essentially uh, the, the way in which I've come to realize that is because the style of care of which I deliver is very much participation based. And I kind of um, I underestimated just how valuable it was when I'm getting someone to do something that challenges them outside of their comfort zone, to lift a weight that feels heavier than, than, than they're expecting to lift that day, uh, to, to challenge themselves in an environment that uh, they would otherwise think was just going to worsen their pain and their problem. I underestimated just how much that close contact was uh, some, to some degree. Uh, whilst plastic clad these days that the, the therapeutic touch that comes from me being there as a supportive force as well as that true proximity to what they're doing I underestimated how valuable that was and how central that was to my care and and that is something that I found fascinating is that that to some extent I certainly was a lesser a lesser therapist when I wasn't able to to use that style which was so central to my practice and that is something that I had taken for granted and thought that I would be able to simulate that better through screen. Now, that doesn't mean that therefore um, an awful lot of work could be done well and can still be done well through screen, but it was something that I, I, I didn't anticipate what it was within my practice that still was compromised uh, by not being able to, to see people face to face and do things in quite a, uh, I nearly said intimate, but I mean like quite exposing work that I do with patients to try and get them doing something that, that they would otherwise feel cautious to do and the reassurance that comes from that close proximity as well as the facilities that we use right the, the actual weight that we would be shifting the uh, uh, the equipment that we'd be using I'm not someone that uses many gadgets and gizmos but you know a squat rack is one and uh, and a trap bar deadlift uh, for lifting things from the floor for someone who's a baggage handler at the airport that needs to try to be able to tolerate those sorts of forces yeah, I, I did i did find it difficult uh, more difficult than i thought to try and simulate some of those things over video and therefore i learned that lesson and i also learned the fact that that was something that uh, was remiss of me and potentially even dismissive of me that people with other styles of practice that are a bit more say hands on than me or someone that really values 
other adjunctive therapies and it does use a lot of say taping for reassurance or something like that or sees a cohort of people that might need those sorts of things more uh, than I do I was potentially a little more dismissive than I'd like to have been over those sorts of features right that the fact that they felt that the world had moved from under them and I was sort of thinking well you should be able to just adapt because if you're not sort of rehab centric enough to be able to do it over a camera at least with only slight, slight compromise then hopefully you can move towards our style of practice and you know I, I hold my hands up there and realize that there's certainly more more in my practice uh, that, that can't be replicated. So I want to try and say then that, that to me, when it comes to the future, we need to integrate some of these digital healthcare strategies and tools with the face-to-face -face stuff, right? I don't think it's smart for us to regress all the way back. I think that would be really clumsy if we were to try to then, uh, it's quite an archaic model. And, and I think that Jill and, and Louise's paper is a fantastic place to sort of start there with regards to some of the history as to why the service design is antiquated and, and certainly needs some reform. Obviously, I would say that the reform word is always on the tip of my tongue. But um, it's still something that we, we, we recognize that if we were to go too far, um in the other direction of, of trying to then just digitize everything then i think that there's uh, two things that will happen one i think patients um aren't necessarily going to be um we need to be careful as to whether or not they're on that journey especially with regards to the health service i think it'd be really clumsy if you if you might find that there's a really obvious two-tier system based on patient expectation whereby you if you if your local nhs trusts are only seeing people you know it's it's a face-to-face -face appointment is like hen's teeth. Essentially, you're really struggling to find, you're really wanting that, let's say, and your expectation is that, thinking that what well, therapy is something that's done to me, or even if they've got, they're well enlightened in what that might be, but they still just want to see someone face-to-face -face and they're craving that. Yet, it takes for um, two or three sessions of which it's over a phone or a screen, et cetera, before they can really do that. It's highly likely that they're going to be disenfranchised and potentially go over to, to private practice, which you can imagine that there's many private practitioners that might be rubbing their hands there in various ways and might deliver great care if they did so. But I think that would be really clumsy if um, if any service, regardless of its funding model, was to not recognise that the patient's not necessarily going to be we've got to be careful as to know what they want and i know there's lots of studies being done as to patient expectation on this stuff and and therefore i'm just you know shooting from the hip a little bit and saying that there are certain patients that that certainly um when we've spoken to them and offered them them that we've still got patients that will travel quite a long way to come and see us face to face even though we're clad in plastic and keeping our distance and stuff um than than would come on to, to telehealth and also on a private practice level it's fascinating that they therefore feels to be more inherent value to face-to-face -face care and they are therefore more willing to pay for that as far as what our experience is and i know that's different for different people and there's a great great stuff being done by katie napt and evie martin and others to sort of make a case that it's about being good at uh, that style of care delivery and and, and that's great uh, but i just think on 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 mass i think it's something that i could see some clumsy behaviors that that, that might disenfranchise patients the second thing so i said it off two things the second thing is that how much do therapists enjoy it you know there's some of the factors i've just talked about with regards to my own enjoyment and my own ability to deliver quality care um, and, and, and get the patient outcomes that, that, that I crave and that I want and that I come to expect of myself and my team and, and then my patients in collaboration. Uh, if they're compromised by, by what I'm describing, then that's not cool. And, and, that's, um, and I'm not meaning to project, I'm not suggesting that everyone's gonna feel this way, but I know that that is a major thing. If we don't motivate and inspire the workforce to come with us on that, or if we think that that's a, a known good as if that is the, the done thing then um you know i, I think that that's gonna we're gonna have a massive uh 
a massive rift that will form. And I think the obvious thing that would happen in that is that if, say, the if say the public sector um, tried to move that way and tried to what I would consider sort of over digitize and, and take patient choice out of it, um, and that the th their therapists in department were sort of on the fence by that stuff and, and only want a bit of it, but not a lot of it, right? The, the, the ratio of how much of their sort of telehealth and video health type stuff and how much face-to-face -face and how much in-person rehab and how much treatment delivery they could do, they could give in face-to-face, in -face, uh, plus or minus PPE, depending on the time frames with regards to us lifting those sorts of restrictions. I think what would happen is you, you're going to you're going to have a major workforce problem whereby both if if the patients do move in that direction, which I think they would, because they're for various reasons, good and bad, they are craving face-to-face -face healthcare. Then the therapists would move uh, as a market force, and that would end up with an even bigger workforce problem that we have now, both in the profession but also in the, in the health service, of which I care very deeply about. So that's something that, that those are the two features really: patient expectation as well as therapist expectation. And I'm interested in where you guys are at. So I'm going to bring you guys in uh, now and see what you've been saying in the in the chat function, as well as come back to Rich's brilliant point um, that he made uh, regarding was this inevitable? Is this where we were going in 10 years anyway? And the pandemic brought it forward. Richard, I will come back to that. But let's see what you're uh, let's see what you guys are saying. Um, Katie Napton, I've name dropped her a number of times in this. She's even said never going to replace face to face. Certainly never been what something that Katie's been saying. Um, it needs to be integrated and, and, and nested, and we need to be thoughtful about how. Um, and I don't know, just can't think of anyone better to lead on that conversation than Katie. So, Katie, if you fancy it, we can get into this on, on chewing it over or elsewhere soon. Um, Louisa Andrews, Andrew, Andrews, um, for my why, as a mobile therapist, it allows me to reach more people and also groups for encouraging self care. Definitely going to keep it for half my, uh, for half my sessions maybe she's saying at least my half my sessions yeah louisa i think that having it there as an option is part of that patient choice thing for sure i think if um if it was to be the only the only option available uh, i think we'd, you'd, you'd restrict your market but being mobile i think is really smart for sure um joe turner hi joe she said hand on heart i'm really struggling to get any more than a small percentage of the therapists who work with me to embrace online Yes, that speaks to what I was just saying at the last comment I made. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, I think, obviously that sounds arrogant this, but if physio matters come MSK reform, come Therapy Live, have been persuasive with regards to the care model deliveries that we would advocate for, um, and we'd have had a couple more years maybe, I would always say that, you know, seven years long, aren't we? So you know, maybe I'm, I'm kidding myself, but, you know, it's like if we continued to cut through at the rate we seem to be, then I think that more people would have been more adaptable to it. But I think it was something that was so abrupt and, and so frustrating that I think a lot of therapists um, are understandably struggling. Um, and, and, and you're not alone there, Joe, as a, as a business owner and a, a practice principal and stuff. I'm he I hear from so many of you uh, that are really struggling with that. Fiona, hi, Fiona. She said patients want that human contact in person when given the choice in our experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that and hearing that. I think that's it's a really relevant thing that I certainly, I don't think I underestimated that, right? Um, not that I'm hugging patients, but I'm a hugger. I'm someone that, I'm someone that very much uh, wants that face-to-face -face interaction. And whilst the broadcaster and stuff are known for this, um, I'm someone that really is craving that amongst friends, amongst family, but also uh, I was for a time until I was back face to face, craving it amongst patients and stuff. And so I think that that human contact, even if it's not physical touch, it's, it's something there is something that is just much far more personal. And I think weirdly, the novelty's worn off any any digital stuff whereby 
it's not a good simulation anymore. Everyone's kind of done that, and it at least had a novelty effect initially, whereby it's like, oh, if we can't meet in person, then this is better than a phone call. Whereas now it's so taken for granted that I think that we're suffering a bit from that as well, which is a shame. Samuel Sheata, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, Samuel. I think we should ensure the hygiene levels to assure the patients and continue our work as physical therapists. That's important, isn't it? So we need to, that's the lesson to, to, to definitely learn is that we need to try to make sure that we can offer the reassurance through safety mechanisms such as hygiene um, and then try to, as we return to forms of old normal, we can do so under the safe parameters from the lessons we've learned with regards to hygiene and the incredible disruption that, uh, that, these, that these sorts of pathogens can, can bring. So yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Appreciate it. Right. Now I'm going to answer or, or, or look at Liz's comment and then I'm going to come back to what Richard asked me earlier, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Richard. Liz has said, I work for an MSK NHS service and we plan to keep virtual first for triage and then offer a mixture of virtual and face-to-face -face depending on patient wishes. Oh, Liz, it's like you could have been a plant. You know, that's the, that for me is the smart conclusion. Now I know that's not the whole answer, right? That could be a podcast in itself. And by the way, Liz, if you fancy it, please come on the show because I think what does that look like? How, how does that service design exist, right? Are there therapists that, that, that uh, sign up to, are the therapists that admit to just hating video consults? Are there the ones that then say, actually, I prefer it? Therefore, do they see some of that uh, virtual? Uh, do, do, are there some therapists that are 50-50? Are all therapists having to do that? That's the model of working. Um, you know, I, that, that begs lots of questions, but the actual points you've made on that list, uh, it sounds like um, that's where I would be. I think there's something to be said for virtual triage, and I've always been an advocate for that. But then when it comes to actually how to integrate the service um, on a workforce level, I think that's where the fascinating questions emerge. And so um, if you or any of your colleagues or anyone listening fancies talking to me about that another time, then I want to go into that, like how might that be implemented? What is the service design uh, that we might advocate for? because I think that's probably the move is that that choice is, is something we need to be offering. So where's my, where's my mate Richard who put his, um, I call him my mate Richard, he might bloody hate me. I don't know the lad, but he's put a great comment here. He said, do you think COVID has just accelerated what was going on in 10 years with advances in technology anyway? <sighs> Such a good comment and one I want to finish on. I think so. Yes. I think for various reasons, I think it was always going to need to move this way and it's accelerated that. And I think that if it would have been a slow burner, not even a slow burner, but if it had moved that way because of a pragmatic need and an application of these technologies based on the fact that we recognise them at an incremental level to be enhancing care and we were measuring that steady away, I think that would have been great. And I think that would have been smart and I think it would have been, been able to be more thoughtfully done. But what's happened is it's been mandated by these forces outside of our control in such a way that I think it's not always been done well. And it's also been done in such a way that's been such a confrontation to so many therapists and the, the sort of patients, if we call that the market, uh, they, they are not necessarily um, well up to speed with what rehab and therapy and MSK care is uh, typically in a contemporary manner in such a way that they can't, they're sort of baffled by the concept of it. They could think about having counseling services over a video console, but they couldn't really physical therapy, physiotherapy. They're like, what the hell? That's the physical thing. Um, and so I think because of that, it's ended up accelerating it. But I think that unfortunately it's therefore spoke for, we've ended up spoiling for a fight a little bit. And I think it's got more challenges than it would have done. 
There is the argument, though, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to this because I think um, it's probably where I was and I've kind of grown out of it, but I might swing back, is that would we have been at risk without the pandemic of, of always just dipping our toe in the water? Would it have been too slow? You know, it's sometimes people consider me to be a bit of a radical and, and might be surprised at me saying that those incremental integrations of digital technologies would have been better because, you know, sometimes I am always craving a bit of a faster change than the, the current rate of pace. But on this, I think that probably the, it's somewhere between. I wouldn't have wanted it to be like over the course of 10 years, let's say, for some digital integration for video tech. No, I'd be, I'd be irritated by that time timeline but the way it's had to proliferate so quickly and the way that it's been such an affront to so many people the disruptions to the workforce etc that i've mentioned and the dislike that some have for it uh, both as patients and as therapists i think that might have actually set us back and i think there's some really thoughtful number crunching needs to go on with regards to some of the trial data that's going on i think there's some real open and honest conversations we need to have amongst ourselves about what we as therapists if we're business owners what our staff enjoy what is it the patients are wanting uh, but try not to try not to bias it too far like try not to be um you know we, we always bring our biases to those conversations so if you're taking sort of anecdotal samples or or writing a questionnaire for your patients or asking them it's like sometimes you end up cooking the books a little bit and it's hard to get a fair sample um whereby you got you kind of um we know what if we if we ask a question that we know what we hope the answer is then that's something that comes through and i say that as an interviewer that, that often leads the witness you know that's part of the discussion style that i have but i think it's a, a really interesting one and i think it's something we do all need to bear in mind so thank you so much for all your contributions and thank you richard sutherland for that fantastic question that i've then been able to end on there because i think it's exactly where we need to try to understand how much of this was inevitable and we've just sped it up and is that a good or bad thing but but are the things that we've had to do and adapt to so, so quickly that we shouldn't really keep um, and, and that is the big service design question, uh, which is obviously what uh, what we discussed then uh, just briefly with what Liz Barnes's comment. And it sounds like her service is somewhere alike where I would think, but that's only the start of that conversation. Yeah, you know, what does that look like? How is that staffed? What do we know about how that affects uh, participation rates from patients, but also satisfaction levels from staff? Um, how is that split with regards to banding, say, in the NHS or seniority within the private sector? absolutely fascinating uh, for me um i've got a few there's a few more questions that have come in and i'm really sorry i'm not able to to get to those because we are now out of time um and i can hear some i can hear some sort of crying babies in the distance there that's the twins sort of kicking off probably needing a nap um so i best go and help out and be a dad for a second so i'm sorry i can't get to any more of your questions but i will be reading them and they will be informing future shows if you're interested in coming on and chewing this over with me then please do let me know i'd love to speak to as many of you as i can not just in the chat but also get you on air and get an episode in the diary to talk about this stuff because it's important and we need to mature this conversation and be honest with ourselves about how we can do this sensibly otherwise uh worst of worst of all worlds could happen whereby we over proliferate digital technologies in such a way that then the patients and therapists don't like it or we don't integrate it at all, which would be absolutely ridiculous. And so I definitely don't want either of those things. There's somewhere through the middle and we need to try and find it together. And I'd love to be part of that journey with you all. So anyway, that's enough from me. Let me try and find my bloody loud video to finish us off and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.